Well, thank you guys for joining us again for another episode of Pursuit of Purpose. I'm Robbie. This is Chuck. And today we have an amazing guest with us, and I feel very honored that he's with us. I'm going to let him introduce himself. Uh, name is Malachi Dawes. I own the Dawes Law Firm. Uh, lived in the Beaumont area most of my life. I'm glad to be here. Well, we really appreciate you being with us today and, and allowing yourself to be victimized and questioned by us. Uh, I, we believe that the public and our audience especially will be greatly inspired by your story. Uh, you are, to my knowledge and understanding, a man who is dedicated to your family, dedicated to your practice, and dedicated to yourself and your faith. Mm-hmm. And that is an inspirational pursuit in and of itself. And I'm proud to have you with us today. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Malika. If you wouldn't mind, as we start, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us where you came from as a child. Where did you live? Where did you grow up? Just give us a little backstory. So Southeast Texas is home. Grew up in Evadell, and uh, people are always amazed to hear the size of the class that I graduated with. 29. Wow, it was huge. <laughs> I didn't know any difference. So uh, yeah. to me, it was normal. But looking back, I really am glad that I grew up in a small town. It's a town that everybody knows everybody and uh, probably helps to keep people in line uh, a little bit more than if you were just getting lost in the mix of a lot of folks. But uh, just for those that aren't familiar with Evadale, very rural community. Um, back whenever I lived there, uh, as a growing up, there was probably about 1,200 people. And uh, there's a paper mill. And uh, probably 50% of the dads work at the mill. My dad was a blue-collar worker as well. He didn't work at the mill. My grandpa did uh, growing up. But my dad worked well on the other side of Beaumont at a steel mill called Gulf Co. For 30 yeah. Plus. Okay. Um, mom was a homemaker, um, but when you live in a, a a community that small, really the heart of it is the school. Absolutely. So, you know, all throughout you know the twelve grades, you always stayed in touch with the same teachers, the same folks, and so I really liked that about growing up in that community. Still have friends, and in fact, um, my art teacher, who I haven't seen in probably. Let's see, I guess it would have been 2003. So 20 years is coming in to see me today. Wow. Planning stuff. So I'm looking forward to seeing her. So I've had the opportunity to reconnect through um, through my business time and time again with folks because we had that connection growing up of small town. That is amazing. It really is. So you started and finished school in the same school district. To In my experience, that's a rarity. Uh, not all kids and not even most kids get to do that. And I mean, that that's huge. I, I think that's amazing. It allowed you to put down some deep and profound roots. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. For me, it was, you know, it doesn't have a lot of the commercial offerings that larger cities have, but we didn't know any better. So we, we fished every pond there. We played basketball in places we probably shouldn't have been playing uh, at different times. And, um, but just good-natured trouble, learn from mistakes, very understanding parents and uh, authoritative figures that, you know, looking back, were certainly a blessing in my life. How many siblings do you have? So I'm the oldest of four. So I have a younger sister, uh, three years younger than me. Her name's Anna. And then I've got two younger brothers, Judson and Josh. All right. And being the oldest, um, can you describe for me, like, how was discipline in your home? Growing up, well, um, looking back, I would say it was it was just right. Now, when you're in the moment, it's uh, it's an overburdening thing, right? And so, I probably thought I was treated unfair from time to time. But it's one of those things in life where you don't understand it from the parent's perspective until you get to be a parent, yeah. and you don't really understand the concern and you know the deep love and fear that you have as a parent for your child and. Uh, you don't realize that your parents are growing up too as they're raising. Absolutely. You know, I can remember my parents as young as being in their uh, early 30s thinking, wow, my dad's 33. I'm not sure exactly how old I would have been at the time, but I'm, I'll am i turn 40 next year. And so, you know, I'm still learning day by day to try to be a better parent. I'm sure my parents were as well. But, you know, we, we got the belt when things uh, got out of line, uh, you know, things taken away from us. But it was, to me, I, I thought it was it was fine. That's good. That's good. That's, I mean, 
oldest of big groups of siblings typically have a different perspective on the subjective nature of punishment in the home. Uh, being an oldest myself, I can speak to that, and I, I kind of feel the same way that you did in the moment or in the in the era. Uh, I felt disadvantaged, and you know, I got beat on, but not really. I mean, it, it was it was what was necessary at the moment. Right. You know, it, I deserved every bit. Exactly, I'm right there with you. I probably got away with some things too. Oh, well, being precisely. I'll, likewise, I'm the oldest, and they typically no one looked to us first, so we're the first to get called out. If something goes wrong, they come to the one that can probably can talk back first because the other ones are younger. Uh, and then, of course, you know, we're the experiment. Like you said, our parents are learning. They're like, well, we'll try it. Because we saw somebody else's parent do it. And so, but by the time they probably got to the youngers, they, they either were better at it or they didn't care. Probably a little bit of both. <laughs> um, I still remember, so I probably would have been about 10. And we grew up in a very small house. And it's, you know, it's the Christmas season. Christmas is over. And I'm thinking I'm doing a good thing by taking the Christmas tree out. And this wasn't a fake tree. This was a live tree that you pulled out to the backyard to the burn pile. Right. And as I was doing it, it just scraped the heck out of this new minivan that my dad had just got my mom. Mm. I was like, okay, I'm going to catch a spanking for this. I mean, it was a mistake. I was <laughs> fearful. I will say that, like patting your backside so it was a little uh, less of an experience. The only thing that saved me was that same day, my brother was outside and I always called them pompous bushes, the big bushes that grew up on the side of the, the freeway. Yeah. He set like three of them on fire. So all of a sudden, my thing was a lot less in the limelight. Yeah. The ones that were up on the highway? Well, no, they were out. They were like around the perimeter of a burnt pile. Oh, okay. So okay. This thing happens, you know, it's full. Those things burn get, hot, get too. The, get, the, get the water hose out there. So, you know, it's... As a kid, you think it's real serious, but you know, in the back of their minds, your parents are kind of secretly laughing about it. Absolutely. Yes. Those are the stories they will tell. Yeah. Yes. That's a good story because, boy, you got out of that one. (laughs) So, are both your parents still alive? They are. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're both in their mid to late 60s. Well, I'm going to ask you a nosy question uh, because I've, I've known you for a little while now, and I know you to be a man of faith. So if you wouldn't mind, describe for me, how was that instilled in you as a child? What was the um, religious atmosphere in the home or the worship atmosphere in the home of whatever? How, how did that play out? So a big part of my life and our family's life, my parents uh, were converts to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, probably in their mid-20s. And uh, by the time I was born, you know, they were already attending that church. So I grew up in that church. Uh, in Ebedale, there's not a congregation there. So we went to the next closest one, which was over in Buna. Okay. So I did Little League in Buna. I did Scouts in Buna. And I did church in Buna my entire life until I graduated from high school. But just always a very important part of our lives, always Wednesday night youth activities, uh, you know, Sunday services, um, you know, people checking in on you whenever, you know, you weren't feeling well or didn't show up, just always a a heavy presence, especially when you're a youth, because there's organized youth programs. Like back then, the the church was affiliated with the Boy Scouts, and so there's always summer camp, winter camp, merit badges, um, and different things as you grew up that just provided structure that probably couldn't have found anywhere else. And if I go back, I mean, you know, I've continued in that faith, so that you know that really put my life on a trajectory from an early age as to, to what I would become today. That's profound. Mm-hmm. Uh, we find in our in our studies and in our interviews that of the most successful of those who we interview, uh, they are all men of faith, all people of faith. The ladies and and men both are they are strong in their faith, and they all uh, attribute that foundation to being the biggest factor in their achievements, uh, and in their personal reinventions. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, to just kind of build upon that, you know, one of the things that our church really encourages is for young people to go and serve missions. Yeah. And so I knew from an early age, just because it was talked about, Hey, and this is something I would like to do. It's a proselyting mission where you can share the gospel and it's a service mission as one different types of services. So back whenever I did it, you couldn't go until you were 19. 
Mm-hmm. That's a two-year mission. So I graduated in 2002, <laughs> went to Lamar for a year, and then went and served a mission in Michigan and the Detroit area, the okay. Detroit and Grid area. So this is a guy who, you know, graduated from a very rural community. Yeah. Class of 29. What a culture shock um, that right. And then I was put in downtown Detroit for wow. first oh. six months of my mission. Oh, wow. my God. And um, just, it was great. Um, but just to sum it up, you know, that experience really set the tone for the spiritual depth that I was able to find during those two years. Because you don't do anything other than study the gospel, work on self-improvement, share it, serve others. There's no, you're not making money on the side. You're not right. having to worry about work. You're not having to worry about school. And so being able to solely focus on that really helped to to help build my faith and different personal characteristics that I think that have helped me to become the, the father I am, the businessman. Absolutely. In terms of organization, prioritizing, hard work. Um, that I don't think I would have gotten anywhere else, at least that fast. You know, it's uh, it's amazing you brought that up. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that particular, uh, I know that your particular faith, um, it's, you know, most most kids do participate in those things. Uh, was there preparation for that? I mean, how, how does that typically work? Or it, I mean, I'm sure you weren't just thrust in, like, yeah. you know, get on the plane and land in Detroit. So No, so they do have, it's called the MTC, the Missionary Training Center. And they've got different ones around the world, depending if you're going foreign speaking. So my youngest brother, Josh, served his mission in Argentina. Oh, wow. And then my middle brother served his mission in Washington State. Okay. So if you're going English speaking, it's kind of a different thing. If you're going uh, foreign speaking, you might get a couple of months of the language. Right. Right. But for us, it was probably about three weeks at a missionary training center in Provo, Utah, where they kind of say, hey, here's how to get ready for missionary life. Here's what the schedule's like. Yeah. Um, you know, here are the different types of lessons. Here's the different types of service opportunities. Right. Um, you know, here's, you know, that was the prep. So it was probably about three weeks of prep that were intensive right before going into the mission field. Gotcha. So uh, in, in, that, in that particular preparation, I mean, do they, does, does the program itself help you with, arrangements as far as like where you're living and those sorts of things. Um, and and then with, like you said, general scheduling, and you're just supposed to fill it in from there. I mean, how, how, how does, so how does that land in Detroit? Well, thankfully um, they didn't rely on 19 year olds to budget things. Uh, otherwise there'd probably been a lot of bills not getting paid, but we do pay for our own missions. Okay. And so basically we'll send in a set amount. And what's cool about the church is that no matter if you're serving in, China or South America, you know, where there's different costs of livings, mm-hmm. everyone pays the same amount. It's oh. it's kind of spread out. So I don't know what it would be, $500 a month, let's just say it was. Yeah. And that would be paid in to church headquarters, and they would make sure the bills got paid. Gotcha. So we didn't have to worry about doing anything other than making sure our money got sent in. Right. Um, but housing, you know, there's already... You know, there's certain geographical areas, apartments or houses, and you'll go and you'll serve in a particular community for a couple of for a couple of months, mm-hmm. typically four to six months with a companion, and then you'll get transferred. Okay. And so typically throughout the two years, you'll serve in maybe four or five different areas. Oh, okay. With maybe a dozen different companions. Okay. So you have this two-year uh, kind of faith and your own personal culture, your own personal ownership of just becoming a man, basically. Yeah. And then uh, from there, I guess that segues back into whatever your next interest is. And I presume uh, being an educated man, back to your, your particular studies, which I presu- presume was back to the undergraduate. What was your undergraduate in? So my undergraduate was in um, finance. Okay, I graduated from Lamar in 2009. But to kind of give an example of pre-mission Malachi versus post-mission, pre-mission, I was making B's, C's, and even a D in my first year of college. Oh, boy. You know, how does someone get a C in dance appreciation? Oh, my God. I don't know. That's impressive. That is. It's sad, but it's true. But whenever I got back home, hope that wasn't judged on dancing skills. <laughs> no, it was just my ability to appreciate some dancing right. skills. Right. Right. And it's supposed to be an easy A. Right. So how I got a C, I don't know. But 
after our return, just kind of showing the organization and study type skills, being able to take serious yeah. things more seriously, That's I got all A's for the next three years. There you go. So if we compare before versus right. Right. tangible fruit there. Right. Um, but yeah, whenever I got back home, um, just resumed. Uh, so whenever I went on my mission, it was the first time I was really exposed to a white collar type industry. There's blue collar in the the um the automotive industry, there. Yes. obviously, lots of plants, but that's also where business headquarters are for mm-hmm. the three big manufacturers. Yeah. So as I served in more affluent areas, like around the Ann Arbor area, where the University of Michigan is, there were a lot of automotive executives and, okay. and different supporting um, you know, technological companies that were there. So I was like, man, this seems so awesome. I want to do business. Right. And so my plan whenever I got back was I'm going to go to Lamar's business school and get a finance degree and uh, did that, graduated in 09. And at that point, I knew I wanted to further my education. It was either going to be go to get an MBA, mm-hmm. but then I met some folks and some guys in my church that were about 10 years ahead of me that had gone to law school. Oh, okay. They were doing financial planning type stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was like, you know, that kind of fits with the business side. I've got a finance degree. I think I'll, you know, maybe I'll go through law school, get that background and do transactional contract business type law. Yes. Which I've never practiced today. Of. <laughs> um, but that was the plan. Right. 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 So, and that led to... Um, Going to Texas Tech University okay. of Law okay. up in Lubbock. So that's where I went to law school from 09 until 2012. Okay. Uh, first day of law school, first class was what they call a torts class. Okay. T-O-R-T-S. Never heard of the word before I went there. Okay. And it has to do with negligence, injuries, Got wrongful it. death, different things like that. And in law school, you read a ton. Mm. Like it was nothing to read. I would say on average anywhere from 60 to 100 pages a day. Wow. Of dense case material, facts about the underlying facts of a case, the court's legal analysis, the reasoning for you know why the case turned out in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And it was almost like story time in torts because they would always have the most extreme cases. Like, did that really happen? And um, anyways, I just got really embedded in it. And I knew, I was like, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted yes. to litigate yes. injury cases. So transactional work was put to the side. <laughs> Litigation was was put on stage. And that's right. what I focused on throughout law school. And that has seemingly been your pr- pursuit to a big portion of your business now. That's what you do is is uh, is are those types of uh, cases. Absolutely. Yeah. Huh? Interesting. So you never, that's a good, I think a, a good um, point to make to our audience, especially the youngers uh, that are listening, that uh, you never know where that introduction is going to come from and to be ready for it, you know, because it may just be, you may, you're, you're just following instructions in your torts class. And then who knew you catch the bug yeah. and turn that into, uh, into the profession you have today. That's something that I really knew I would enjoy Mm -hmm. doing. Like if I was, some people love drafting contracts or doing tax law, more power to those people. (laughs) But that would be a miserable thing for me to go in day in day out. So I knew that I found a joy in just, I've always had a competitive sense Mm -hmm. to me as well. And so a lot of times with these types of cases, you know, there's he said, she said, there's people trying to escape responsibility or there's just a genuine dispute of the facts. Right. And so just being able to dive into it, strategize, Mm -hmm. develop a case strategy and focus on how you're going to communicate that Mm. to a jury. Right. In the best way possible. Right. Is something that never gets old. Right. Right. I guess each each case even has its uniqueness, even though your system is, has a similar plugins. Each case has its own story. Each case is going to be first understanding every side of the facts. Yes, um, getting all the evidence in, in right before you, and then figuring out well, what does it say? Yes, and then how can I communicate it? And so each each time I try a case, there's going to be a uh, a theme to the case. And I'm really recently given this conversation to my daughter, a uh, nine-year-old or ninth grader, okay. Ella. She's uh, going to Lumberton and she's on the mock trial team. Ah, oh, so nice. Got their, yeah. their, their, their fact pass. She may have an advantage. She might. That's right. <laughs> hey, hey, she gave me this, this like 
bundle of papers stapled together. It's probably about 75 pages. And I said, okay, let me take this. I take it to work. I said, okay, give me a notebook. Let's get about 20 different down. Break this thing down in a second. Nice. I go back to the time, like, here's your notebook. This is where you start. You've oh, got to get organized. That is great. That is great. Yeah, in uh, the sports business, you'll often see, I don't know if you guys are all kind of sports fans, you basketball, you play those things. And you, you could, you'll listen to the commentators and some kid will be out there in the court and they go and he'll be all he'll be savvy and maybe he'll have that just that perfect instinct where you go, oh by the way coach's kid coach's kid yeah you're raising a coach's kid we'll see but it's been so much fun just talking about it coming up with those themes yeah uh, about you know how you can best relate the core issue to the jury mm. because if you can't say it in a sentence right it's not really going to be that easy to understand. And I think, yes, having the facts on your side matters. Mm -hmm. Having a more likable client, empathetic client matters. Right. But if the, the person making the decision cannot understand what the issue is right. and why you're recommending it be resolved in a certain way, then it's more risky. There you go. Which is your best challenge in this industry. Take all those facts and boil them down. Funnel them down. Yeah. 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 Well, I want to talk about something yeah. real quick that matters even more than any of that. And Bella, if you listen to this, you gave your dad a chance to connect with you with what he does and what you are doing. Hmm. That is one of the most precious things that any father can experience with their child. Yes. So, wow, what an opportunity. That's a rare thing. It doesn't happen with all of us. You know, your kid took an interest in something that is right along in your profession and well, in well, your pursuits. Well, she's taking more of an interest. She tells me all the time how she's going to strong arm me out of a law firm. <laughs> so nice. I'm going to have to watch my back as I'm cold to this. That's house, right. A hostile yeah. takeover. <laughs> you know, but that's yeah. awesome though. That, I mean, is. that really is. But, you know, kind of giving homage to the name of y'all's place, the pursuit of purpose. Um, you know, there's a, a a quote, and I think it's from a social, soci, sociologist back in the, the late 1800s, but it was kind of made more famous um, by some folks that have said it in some church talks that I've heard over the years, but it's always stuck with me. And that is that no success outside the home can compensate for failure in the home. Oh, that's very accurate. Wow. And yeah, so it's a balancing act when you're a parent, when you're a spouse, uh, when you're a businessman. Uh, trying to balance and keep all the balls in the air. Mm. But if I've got to keep one in the air um, more than the others, I try to, I'm not saying I always do it perfectly, but to me, the relationship with the family and the trajectory that they're going has got to be you know, paramount. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you Absolutely. any more than, than well that. said. Uh, I, I'm going to ask you a question and I know you've had a lot of practice, especially in your practice, but when if you went back, let's say that we went back and we asked your parents this question, would they say you were an outspoken socializing child? Yes. Good. Yeah. Okay. I think so. I, I, I've always been... Mr. Personality kind of... A bit extroverted. Well, some of my family members are more than me. Like, I... I ease into it. Okay. I don't have a problem like making introductions, but probably more than my brother Judson, which I look at this as a, as a good characteristic of him. I think he can jump in there with strangers and it's like they've been friends for a long time. He's a middle child. Yeah. Me, I don't mind it, but I'm just not as naturally gifted mm. as that. So you warm up to it. I think it takes a little bit of relationship building. But okay. once I know you, once we're in the circle together, then, you know, what's mine is yours type thing. And, and we can go back and forth like brothers. But, you know, some people certainly have the gift better than I do. I'll say that. So then the the law profession kind of fits with that because when you get a case, you get to prepare and warm yourself up to it, yeah. kind of befriend it before you have to actually go and, you know, Speak with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the first part of picking, uh, of starting any trial is what they call the board dire, uh, which is French, meaning speak the truth. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's where you get to question the jury. You get to find out about their background. 
And the whole point, and the judge will give you a limited amount of time. They may say, hey, look, you've got an hour each. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of stuff I've got to get through. I'm trying to mm -hmm. find out if there's anybody in this group of maybe 50 folks mm -hmm. that has a bias or prejudice, past life experience that doesn't make them the right kind of person for this jury. Mm -hmm. you know, if, for instance, they kind of, this is a medical malpractice case, and they come from a family of doctors, for instance, they may be <laughs> yeah. naturally inclined to take yes. the doctor's side. Yes. Um, and so one of the things I, I know in the back of my mind is whenever I'm speaking to those 50 folks, besides just trying to vet out who may not be the right person for this jury, is building that relationship. Because especially with attorneys, I'm not sure if y'all have heard, but we've got a bad stereotype. No. <laughs> it's a shock. No. It's right, you know. <laughs> um, but I kind of look at that as a positive thing okay. because I don't think I fit that stereotype. I, I would agree. I would agree. To not fit it. And so... Um, we wouldn't you know, have you on here if we thought that. Right. It's just about breaking down those barriers, yeah. letting them know that I think the single greatest thing that an attorney can do, and this probably can be said for a lot of different professions, um, as far as building a relationship and, and building credibility with someone, it just be genuine. It's, Absolutely. Don't try to be somebody you're not. Right. Don't try to be Mr. Stand-up comedy guy if that's not really your thing. Right. Uh, don't try to be some fire breather guy if that's not your thing. Let the jury see you warts and all because they know if they get a real person in front of them, they can, they're more likely to believe that person. Mm. Yeah, they can relate. Yeah. Yes. You develop the empathy, the relationship with them. That's, that's very love profound. Genuine. I love it. Yes. So now we've bounced back and forth in all these different topics and, and we've gone through uh, your upbringing in the rural town and all that kind of stuff. Let's talk about your family a little bit. Uh, what year did you get married with your with your wife? 2006. 2006. That's pretty good. You are uh, you and I share that in common. We were both married in what month? I'm March. Okay. I'm August. July. So you're just in case my wife's listening. August 11th. Hey, How about that? Good job. So uh, we have that in common. I didn't realize that. And, and what's your wife's name? Andrea. All right. Well, is Andrea, how does she play into your practice? Well, um, I think that that, the amount of a role she's played has kind of changed. Uh, she was my first legal assistant, uh, first uh, so you recruit, accountant. You recruited in-house, you know, Absolutely. for the house. Well, we didn't I have money you. to go to that house. <laughs> we did not have money to go to that house. So I could tell you stories of my first <clears throat> office that I rented with uh, a very loud speaking, and I love this attorney. I'm not going to say his name, but he just talks very loudly. I could hear every detail. Oh, God. I'm sitting there with this used desk, this fake plant, <laughs> these rainbow colored chairs, nice. and this desk has really got a wobbly leg on it. I'm like, okay, here I am. Off on my this is what out on my own is like. Yes. Okay, what have I gotten myself into? Yes. Uh having a, a little on desk copier and having to scan in a hundred plus pages and having to try six or seven times because it gets jammed halfway. Nice. Oh man. So those are those that's how it started but she was super supportive um you know by the time i i started my own thing in 2013 i found myself without a job it was about christmas time we didn't have all that much money in the bank we just had a new house it, it wasn't new it was new to us but uh, a nice plump mortgage to go along with. oh yeah i'm like okay we got enough money for about two months worth of bills you know and i could have gone and uh taking the safe route mm. and went and worked for someone else because I was only a year out of law school at that time. But I had a buddy who said, hey, man, why don't you come run over here for dirt cheap and, you know, we can help get you on this appointment list and we can give you a little bit of work here. You can scratch it out. And so that's how it started. And I did probably six different types of law, criminal defense, family, estate planning, wills, different types of things and the injury type cases, they weren't like the ones I was reading about in the books. Right. I mean, these were, uh, you know, very kind of weird one-offs that other attorneys just didn't want to have. And they didn't want to have them because they're not that easy. Yeah. Uh, and maybe they weren't that profitable, but I bring it back to your question. My wife was always, and has always been very supportive. Um, 
whenever it got to be busy enough where I needed someone in the office to help out, she came in, even though she's raising kids, right? And then uh, probably for the past six or seven years, you know, she's been running QuickBooks for us. And if anybody's ever dealt with QuickBooks, they will know. That's not an easy no, it's not to right. run. So right. thankful every day uh, to her for that and that oversight because it's beyond me. Mm. Well, thank you, Andrea. Yeah. Yes. Right. Yes. So from what it sounds like, she she could see your dream through you and she signed on wholeheartedly. And it sounds to me like the way you describe her that that you attribute a lot of uh, what we call your success to her support. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, it goes back even further than that. I mean, whenever I was in law school, so she's a nurse by training in Oregon. Ah. And um, she worked here at Krista Saney for a while, but when we were in Lubbock, she worked at two different places, maybe a third, I can't recall, but you know, wow. we've got a newborn at that time whenever I start and Bella would have been maybe five or six months old, but you know, she would stay home during the week because I'm going to school and she would work 12 hour shifts on the weekend nights, typically like 6A to 6 or 6P to 6A. So she um, she has pulled her weight and then some mm -hmm. helping to make you know our family. <clears throat> so it was a joint venture to get her to the career path that she's in now. <laughs> would you agree with that? Because she is in a a career now that. Is she? What does she do now? So she she's just homemaking now. Exactly. So yeah, that is a that is a big career. Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yes. And it took a lot of investment on both of your part to get her there. Mm. Yeah, no question. Um, so we have four girls. Yeah. Um, let's see, 14, 11, 8, and we've got a two-year-old. And so the dog's even a girl. I mean, I'm completely <laughs> outnumbered. Bless your heart. Oh, man. But uh, growing up in a house with mostly boys, that was new. What new a culture year. shock. And it is wow. every day. Yeah. Um, and so without her there to tell me to take a deep breath mm. and to um, handle some of those particular issues, I would be lost. There's no question about it. So, I mean, I think if, if I'm giving an honest look at our family, it's truly a, a team effort. Um, no one person's doing more than the other. That's what I hear when you describe it. Yeah. Uh, it sounds like a, a very functional team. Absolutely. Uh, and I'll tell you this, you and she are not alone in y'all's style of path. Uh, we've had other guests that have had a very similar uh, path to where they are, where the lady of the of the pair supported the gentleman mm -hmm. while he was going through school and helped him get to where they believed he was going, you know, mm -hmm. going to gonna be. And then once he attained his purpose, yeah. uh, then she was able to to do what she chose to do. Yeah, I mean, realistically, <laughs> because she worked all throughout law school, I came out of law school with no debt. That's amazing. Wow. And so when we, you know, a year and a half later, when I'm finding myself without a job and this mortgage payment, if we would have had student loans on top of it, probably would not have been able to have started my own business at that time just because of the debt. What a woman. Well, right. I mean, been. really. So, yeah. She, what a partner. She opened up a lot of avenues for us that. You know, or fundamental. She might be a keeper, Malachi. Yeah, you, maybe. You know, that, that's a good one. <laughs> so uh, would you say, uh, a kind of a double question, would you say that you are successful and thus how would you define successful? Well, I think it just depends on the context. If we're talking about a successful person, okay. I think if someone's not living true to their convictions, it's hard to do a lot of things. Gotcha. And I think we've all fallen short at times of living up to what our ideal is. But I found the closer that I can live my life to the things that I know and believe to be true, the more peace and happy I am. The more my conscience isn't bearing down on me like, hey, you need to correct this in your life. Right. So to me, living by your convictions and making changes whenever there's a misalignment is personal success. Yes. Um, I would say family success for those with a spouse and with kids. 
to me, recently making memories has become a big deal. Like we don't do a lot of like Christmas gift stuff. We're more like let's take a trip type deal to make yeah. memories. Yes. So I think if my kids, because I have practiced family law for about 10 years uh, until, you know, recently, there's so much dysfunction and uh, it's heartbreaking to me to see it. And to me, even my kids disagree with me as long as they know where that's, you know, where my thoughts are coming from. Mm -hmm. I got a love for them, concern for them. Then that's the best any parent can do. Right. And then I would say from a business perspective, um, that should just be an outflow of what your personal life is. Mm-hmm. I don't think you can be one way in your business and another way in personal life. And so right. to me, being able to, to own a business, to grow it, um, fortunate enough to you know have clients, I think it's, I don't think it's coincidental. Um, I think that having those opportunities is a natural outcropping of the decisions that people make. Yes. And you used a word that we'd like to use uh, in our profession and definitely show, and that's an owner. We call it an owner of the spirit or a creator, if you will. And we find that many of those opportunities to become an owner of something, uh, it, there's there's a process of development. So if I look to, to, to you as someone who's now, I would say, a notable leader in his profession in our community, and you are. People know who you are. They know what you do, and they know that you do it well. What pro- component would failure bring to that same philosophy of success? How has that worked in your favor? Well, um, if somebody was just to, you know how it is nowadays when someone sees someone who's obtained any bit of success, I think the natural tendency is to think, well, that person must have known someone. That person must have lucked into it. They were born with money or whatever it is. And I'm here to tell you, none of those three um, were the case with me. I came from a middle-class family. Mom was a homemaker. Dad worked blue-collar. You know, we we didn't have name-brand stuff. I didn't have anybody pay for my schooling Mm -hmm. until my wife. Right, right, right. But um, (laughs) 12-hour shifts, baby. I mean, I started, you know, I had a good employer starting off, but, um, you know, for 10 years now, I've been on this journey of building my own brand yes. own firm. Yes. And the the early mornings, the, the late hours, the, um, you know, the things that just didn't go my way, just because that's the way the world works. Oh, yeah. There's, yeah. I don't know if I call them failures. I would just call them life. Okay. And um, we're actually, we teach this class to our young men um, in our church, and I'm a facilitator, and it's my first year doing it, but it's called the Emotional Resilience Class. Oh, because kind of going back to the earlier conversation about missions, a lot of times the mission presidents over the mission will say, hey, parents, this is what we see is lacking with the youth coming out. And the thing that our most recent mission president said was having them more emotionally resilient. Uh, mm. You know, I know that there's a big thought that children nowadays are coddled. Mm. Yeah, they're not as uh, they're not as uh, game ready for life, right? As maybe we were, and I'm sure the generation before mine was saying the same thing right. in, in some ways about me. But the truth is, life is tough. Families are not like they are on a Disney movie. Right. Um, family life is work. Right. Um, being married to a person for 17 years um, is hard work. It's daily work. It's disagreements. Yes. It's um, you know challenges with kids from health to emotional to education. Yeah. Um, it's just my con- my particular perspective that God put us in family units. Mm-hmm. And that there is no other social or godly institution that's going to help develop right. and refine the characteristics that God would have us develop in this life. Yes. Better so than a family. Who's going to yes. test your patience more than well, you got a knife, that right. you know, <laughs> these kids? Four and girls so, and a female dog. I'm just yes. telling you. And so it's through that grind of um, failures, yes. not getting your way. Yes. Um, and having to be resilient that you know, can make or break someone, but it's it's what's going to 
make you into who you are. Perfectly said. Man, that's perfect. Because that's it. It's 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 facing those things, those challenges, and uh, turning them turning them into completions. You know, making them happen. And it sounds like you and your your awesome wife have through the years developed this like a, a system that has a little bit of fluidity because you know you're going to get these curveballs, but the system works. And it started with all those grinds, those early college weekend all nighters and all those things, making it work. That's awesome. And I know our audience just heard that. You said that perfectly. Thank you. Very, very well done. Well, it, it made me think what, what you were saying to the first piece of marriage advice that I ever got. Hmm. I'd like to share. Um, yeah. Before I got married, um, there was this this old couple in our church. I'm talking about married probably 60 years. That's a long time. Yeah, marriage. that's a real marriage right years. there, boy. Um, hmm. And he heard that I was engaged and we were on this church bus trip somewhere and he said hey uh, you know, come talk to me i heard you're getting married i said yes sir and uh he said you know what's the first thing you gotta do get married i'm looking at him and i'm like okay what's gonna be said now he said the first thing you've got to do is get a divorce I'm like, what is he talking about i'm just looking at him and after one of those wise man type pauses he says you got to get a divorce from yourself I would definitely say amen to that. And it's been profound. Yes. It's a lesson that I'm not 100, I, I can't say that I'm 100% on, um, but usually if I can go back, you talked about a system. Okay. Okay. We've got a loose system, um, but we both are class type A personalities. Mm. And sometimes if we both think that two different options are the right thing, heads can clash. Uh, yes. But what I found is that, you know, if you cannot be as focused about who's right, but rather what's right, um, then it helps to get down to what the right answer is and helps to eliminate contention in the marriage. So it's taken me 17 years and I'm still a work in progress. (laughs) And my wife hears that. She's going to be like, who is this saint talking in the microphone? (laughs) I'm trying my best, but uh, I I think the principle's right Absolutely. Absolutely. No, but I love it. Starting with the goal in mind, that's how all these plans work out. These people say, well, we just kind of go for it. No, we start with the goal. In mind. Then I can be patient with this process. And there is a process. And you guys are obviously patient with it. Maybe not always patient with each other, but we are patient with the process that we're trying to create. You got to divorce yourself. What a brilliant man. I love it. Thank that was you. very profound. That's it. I will be writing that down in my office in just a moment. I promise you for those who come in for couple counseling. So I've got a couple of, of questions for you. Um, do you have any fears? Is there anything you're afraid of? And my greatest fears uh, concern having a wayward child. Mm. If I'm being honest about it, no, I because I can, can totally be, relate. You know, like like. Um, Many stories we could read about in the scriptures. For instance, the prodigal son. Mm. You could you could do everything right. Someone could have all the privileges, but at the end of the day, they have free agency. That's right. Yeah. And um, I've seen plenty of people that have done everything by the book, as far as I can see, and still a child decides to go on a different path. And my kids are too young to have done that yet. But to me, that's the kind of thing that that gives me heartburn. Uh, if I let my mind start to wonder is, you know, what if, how am I going to deal with that? You know, cause it, you know, there's nothing more important here, kids. Right. And so it's just, I don't want to see them struggle more than needed. I know that struggle is a part of life, but that's what's, that's probably my greatest fear as a parent. Well, that's, I, I can relate. I can, I can relate. And that's definitely something I've had a lot of struggles with. Uh, you know, you, you mentioned about the girl dad thing. We have five. Uh, so I can relate to that. And uh, we were blessed with three boys. So we're, we've got that. We have a little bit of balance. <laughs> I'm not the lone ranger in our house. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we do have a boy cat. So, oh, you know, <laughs> there's that. That's it. But anyway, you, yeah. I can, Cats don't have a master. They have a staff. We all know that. Right. And so... <laughs> So we've talked a lot about family, and <laughs> I'm going to ask you a question about you in your in your practice. Uh, you know a lot of other attorneys. 
I know you do. Y'all are, it's like, you know, it's a community. Uh, what would you say sets you apart from others who practice law in general and similar, similar law to yourself? You know, we do have a great local bar, mm-hmm. uh, Jefferson County Bar Association. And uh, honestly, there may be infighting between some folks, but I've never been a part of that. Anytime I've needed to reach out for help, I've gotten it. Um, it's nothing to send out an email to a close group of other friends saying, hey, I've got this expert or I've got this mediator proposed. If any of y'all ever used them and people respond back. As far as what sets me apart, um, I've always taken pride in being able to be approachable by clients. I mean, most of the times, whenever they walk into my office, that's the first time they've ever had to go see an attorney. Right. And so all they've got are maybe typically uh, bad experiences from family members or friends, make sure they don't do this or just kind of what their own perception of what a lawyer is. Or, you know, the, the biggest complaint that is made to the state bar of Texas each year about attorneys when clients call to say, hey, my lawyer's not doing his job is failure to communicate. Hmm. Uh, can't get a call back. Can't get an update on my case. Right. So we're very proactive to make sure that that never happens um, as far as keeping good communication with clients. But, you know, I give clients my cell phone all the time um, and rarely is it abused. Um, So I think just being approachable um, and that really helps to, you know, roll over into relationship building, whether it's with mediators or judges or potential jurors Mm -hmm. on a case, just being comfortable, I suppose, in my own skin and, um, being able to, like a lot of times in my cases, um, there's a lot of good facts that we've been able to develop, but sometimes there's there's bad facts yeah. as well. And I think being able to maintain credibility with the jury or the judge by not trying to hide from those, yes. but being upfront about them saying, look, I know that this is here, mm-hmm. but here's how we're going to address it. Whereas maybe others might just try to put on blinders and act like it doesn't exist. So. Um, I think being able to just to make a relationship is something that, that I'm proud to be able to, to do. Hmm. Well, you use the term we, if you don't mind, you use no, the term okay. we. And um, so obviously you're addressing your team. You, you have this team around you. And uh, two things I hear that I think I just heard when you're uh, presenting not only your your name, your, your agent's uh, firm, but also your team is credibility and then client care. And so in it, it either expound on those or in addition to those, uh, what you are looking for in team members, people who may be thinking of going and working in a law profession somewhere. So very, very proud of the team members that, that we have. Um, you know, usually whenever, whenever I first started off uh, and I was able to start hiring folks, I tried to find experienced folks because I needed them to hit the ground running. Okay. What I found is that just because they're experienced doesn't mean they're going to have the personal qualities that I want. Gotcha. The caring, the compassion part of that yes. uh, is huge to me. And so for the past five or six years, I hired 90% based on someone's uh, intrinsic qualities. How hard of a worker are they? How honest? How approachable are yeah. they? And then I can teach them the rest. I can teach them the mechanics of being a paralegal or being able to answer the phone at the front desk. Right. Um, but yeah, it's a team effort. In fact, on the welcome card that uh, we give out to, to clients whenever they sign up with us, it specifically says on there, we are a team. And uh, we want you to be able to reach out to us and us to you so that at the end of the day, you get the fullest physical an emotional recovery possible coming back from this injury. Right. So, um, yeah, teamwork is a big thing. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, knowing some of your team members, I mean, they're just some of the most beautiful people I've ever known. And they'll be friends for life. And, thank uh, yeah, thank you. I mean, you're you're giving them an, env- an environment where all that can just come out. And, obviously, it's client care because I know you get a lot of referrals. And that's from people that you have helped who send folks to you. So, yeah, that's awesome. Well, I'd like to throw something out there. Uh, I've known you for a few years. And what I would also say, you know, you mentioned how when people come to your firm or or into your office, it's a lot of times the first time they've ever interacted with an attorney. Not only that, 
it may be one of the worst times in their life. So you're, you're giving them the first interaction with a lawyer at the worst time potentially in their life. So you have um, a way of humility about you that makes you approachable. And that's not common. And uh, I was hoping that you might say it, you know, about yourself. But, you know, a lot of times we don't view ourselves as other people see us. And you are successful. Uh, you have a great practice. You have a, a, a beautiful office, a beautiful home, a beautiful family. And you are not puffed up with your success. And I believe that your clientele most likely feels that when they get to meet you. And uh, I believe that would be something that would set you apart from a lot of people in your industry. Not to say that no one else is humble, but you definitely operate with a, a sense of humility. Well, I appreciate you saying that. Uh, it does mean a lot. Um, yeah, when people come to the office, you know, they, they're dealing with work injuries. Mm -hmm. Somebody just got T-boned at an intersection. Someone just got ran off the road by a drunk driver. There's you know, a family member that's critical or, or dead. Um, you know, there's people that suffer from malpractice and they haven't been able to get answers as to why they're like this or how this was allowed to happen. And so, yes, they're looking to us for a result. They're looking to us to help answer questions that haven't been answered. And they're looking just to someone to talk to. I mean, we're an attorney and counselor. Yes, and so that's right. Sometimes just being able to vent and to, to, to listen, to, to ask questions, to be a listening ear, um, does mean a lot. Yes. I'm very proud of, uh, you know, we all live by Google these days. And right. I'm always honored whenever a client gets on there and says something nice about us in a Google review after the case. It means a lot because that's a, that's a free volition, volitional act by the, right. and, uh, it, and certainly that, and when someone refers us a case, it, it, those are the kind of indicators that tell me that we're doing a good job. Very good. So at this point, I'm going to ask you, a, I'm going to give you an opportunity for a little shameless plug. If someone uh, would like to become your client, where would they find you? Go ahead and tell our audience how to become a client of uh, Malachi Dawes. Well, hopefully you'll never need me. Yes. And we, we uh, represent injured and uh, wrongfully killed individuals and families. But uh, it's on dollslawfirm.com, D-A-W-S, lawfirm.com. Um, we're located pretty much smack dab in the middle of Beaumont. Uh, we take cases mainly throughout Southeast Texas, but we've handled them all across the state of Texas uh, as well. One thing that I'll mention is, you know, if you, if you have a case and it's not the type that we handle, you know, we don't just say, well, I'm sorry, we can't help you. We typically try to help point them in the direction of someone like, for instance, if somebody called me about an asbestos case or something like that, we don't do toxic tours, but I'll say, hey, I know someone credible who does that. Okay. Um, so, yeah, if, you know, no one really appreciates attorneys until they need yes. one, mm -hmm. it's, you know, but whenever that time does come, if it happens, I think people want to feel assured that they've hired the right person the right firm to help them out. And I have no equivocations in saying that we can do that on a high level. Good. You want to give them your firm phone number? Uh, sure. It's 409-838-6000. Uh, Very good. Yes. Well, I'm going to ask you a two-part question. Uh, this is a, a current and a futuristic question. So what is your mission currently? And what do you want your legacy to be? From a business perspective? It can be all perspective. All perspective. This can be, you can break it into parts. You can, okay. you have artistic freedom. Oh, okay. you right. So from the personal family side, um, you know, these girls take up the time that they take up uh, to help them develop into the young ladies that they need to become. Yes. And uh, anybody who turns on the TV sees that there's plenty to... Uh, help tempt some take them the other way. Word. Right. And so just helping to support them and their different endeavors. They've all got different talents. It's so interesting. We don't really know the two year old's personality per se yet, but mm. the other three couldn't be more different. Um, <laughs> so it's, you know, it's just trying to be the best dad mm. that I can be and the best spouse to, to my wife. Just trying to be supportive of other people's goals, I think is something that provides meaning. 
Um, from a business perspective, we really started to focus on our core clientele, okay. which are uh, personal injury victims. Now, whenever we started out, we didn't have that luxury. We had to do whatever it would take to pay the bills, and we served those people to the best of our possibility. But my passion ever since that original torts class has always been representing people that have been wrongfully injured. These are folks that they walked out of the door that day expecting to come back home at the same time. Yes. And instead, they got taken by an ambulance to the hospital and they've got $10,000 worth of bills and they don't have maybe a way to continue to make the money to support their family. So, okay. you know, it's it's a physical, emotional, financial component. And I take pride in being able to provide reprieve mm -hmm. for those folks yeah. and to help get justice and... Um, and compensation for them. So, one thing that I've you know done over the past years, we've um, we've cut out the last uh, vestiges of like family law mm -hmm. and estate planning that we did. Now we are solely focused on our core mission, and um, it's one of those things that've been in the back of my mind to make that jump for a couple of years yes. you know, because of financial considerations. I've held on to it, mm -hmm. but you know, about six months into this, very happy. Um, there's a lot more just focus on what the key mission is. And I think that, that that's more satisfying. There's freedom in doing what you love. Yes. Freedom. Yeah. Satisfaction, just direction, not being pulled in, in, in different directions. So yeah. that's, that's been the goal as far as a legacy goes. Yes. I mean, from a, from a, I almost say selfish or prideful, um, perspective i would like to be known as a as a good attorney um, that's not selfish or prideful well i i just you know some people um well, i'll just say it like this to me what my peers have to say or the judges i practice in front of means a lot absolutely yes and so having their respect um you know, seeing that, you know, whenever we come in, we're organized, uh, we're on topic, uh, you know, we advocate to the 10th degree for our clients, that um, that's all you can do. I can't always, I tell clients whenever I sign up, I cannot guarantee a result. We're going to get 12 people from this county that no one knows, and they're going to come in there and make a decision. And most of the time, I would say 90% of the time, they're going to get it right. But there's, you know, they can view the facts a little differently than I. You know, there's a possibility we can get less money than was offered at mediation. So there's no crystal balls here. There's no guarantees um, other than the fact that, you know, we're going to put our best foot forward. And if they can live with the risk, I can live with the risk that it, it typically works out. Mm. So just having, you know, even if I had a client that had a, a less than expected result, having them know that I did my best for them means a lot. Uh, it reminds me, I used to do criminal defense work. I've got folks sitting in prison right now. And a lot of people, like my kids, ask me, uh, so it was a scarlet. She said, Dad, how how can you represent someone who's been charged with this or that crime? Mm. I mean, I, I've tried murder cases. I've tried kidnapping cases. And it's not about trying to get someone off the No. No. It's about making sure that the system, that this person has representation, their questions are answered, that the system is fair, and no one is um, you know, taken advantage of because they didn't understand what their rights are. Right. And uh, so, in a sense, there's handholding sometimes yeah. through that. But, you know, I've gone to trial with people that were guilty, people that the jury found to be guilty, that still to this day send me Christmas cards. Wow. Handwritten. I'm talking about they're cutting these things out. They're handmade pop-up cards saying, hey, so thankful for you. I hope you're doing well. And I don't think they would have done that if we, we didn't. Want to respect them, right? Uh, try our best for them. So, to me, um, I just have to be able to continue that throughout my career. Yes, you operated with integrity. Yeah, uh, that's that's very good. Yes, very good. Yeah, and uh, so you're kind of segueing into one of our some of our final questions and thoughts here. So, based on what you've now seemingly have challenged yourself to become as a as a parent, as a husband, a parent, and a practicing. <laughs> If you were to offer just a few maybe phrases or words of wisdom or advice, you, you've got now one of yours is in those those teen years. And so she is now a young adult. 
very uh, young because she's still sponsored, but adult because she has adult responsibilities. The rest are still coming along. So we're talking to her age group and kind of up and saying, if you're considering any profession, but especially law, these are some characteristics I hope that you are developing inside to be your best. Well, I don't think anyone's going to get very far without being able to uh, commit to hard work. Mm. Yeah. Regularly is anything given uh, in this life. And so the amount of, you know, I said earlier, early mornings studying before an exam um, or late nights or putting off things like, you know, my daughter the other day, she's in the middle of her, I guess, mid-school year, it's end of semester exams, this is the, the freshman. She said, well, yeah, Dad, we're meeting up with some friends over at, uh, I forget the, the name of the, Hardbeam. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The little coffee shop in Lumberton to study. I said, well, that's an idea. But my um, my um, my thoughts on that are that like when and in law school when people would get together for groups. If it was a group, sometimes it would be more of a social outing yes. than an academic. And you may feel better because you got together and y'all had papers around. But are you really like getting down to the reading, memorizing things, studying things? Right. And I know different people study differently, but just kind of going back to you know your question, just finding out what works for you. Yes. Um, and being able to being willing to put in the time to achieve the result. I don't think that there's hardly anything that someone can't do if they don't put in the time. Like obviously, I'm not going to the NBA or people like me. You know what I'm saying? We. I mean, it would be a rare thing uh, if you don't have the body type of an NBA player. So there may be some factors that are prohibitive, but anything else, I mean, it's just been my life experience that people that can work hard and stay focused uh, and develop other good qualities can do whatever it is they want. Yes. Um, I would say as a youth, though. Keep your guard up from making bad decisions. Mm, yeah. Because yeah. decisions have consequences. Yes, they do. And we we teach that in our family all the time. And, you know, whether it's having um, a, a child out of wedlock mm-hmm. or early on, there's practical, real consequences mm-hmm. that will inhibit your ability to pursue an education or I'm not going to say they're going to stop them, yeah. but they're going to be hurdles that make it just more difficult. Yeah, yes. absolutely. So, you know, that's, um, that's one of the things I would teach to the youth. Thank you. Well, I've got two questions for you. I like to double up on one. So we've talked about where you've been and where you are. What's next for Malika? You got any ambitions? You got any kind of you you mentioned a couple of things, and I know that lawyers often, often move into careers that are related. Judges, politicians, different things to serve their community in different ways. Uh, are there any ambitions in that area for you? I mean, you're you're in the middle of your career. You're not near the end. Uh, but do you think about things like that? Right now, um, truthfully, I just see myself continuing in my practice and continuing to make it stronger, not necessarily larger, right. because bigger is not always better. Oh, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Overhead, more headache. If I'm, you know, you work to have financial security for your family, mm-hmm. and um, I don't think adding more attorneys necessarily means a better quality of life. So I think just continuing to build the support system that I have, training those folks, um, that's that's where I'm at right now. Um, if if I got tired of it and decided to, you know, a lot of it's common for attorneys around here to you know run for a judgeship. That's right. Should one become open, it's not on my radar, um, but time will tell. Well, I think you'd make a good one. I yes. appreciate uh, it. If you ever chose to do something like that, you're your take on things is very um it you're a person of integrity i yes. think you would serve well whatever you cho- choose to do so i mentioned there were two this is my favorite question of the entire interview if you were able to speak to your younger self probably let's maybe even before you went on your mission 
but maybe right when you got back. Either place. And whisper in your ear. What would you tell yourself? Would you, would you, what, what message might you send that would impact your life? I like this. He's taking it real serious. I don't have any regrets with where I've ended up. Of course. Um, and so I would tell the younger me um, to stay the course. And I would try to impart upon the more stubborn, immature guy that I would have been at that time that, hey, when you're faced with this situation with your you know, your wife or your your uh, your family, you know, it's not as it's not going to be as big of a deal as you'll think it is at the time, mm. because I'm not sure how common this is. Um, but for me, I don't say that I'm OCD, but I like things to go well. Um, usually that means I like them to go the way that I think they should go. But in hindsight, there's so much contention in families and even among friends fighting or arguing yeah. over senseless, small potato type stuff. And so, yes, could I save myself some heartache and some some arguments by being a little bit more mature earlier on, a, a little less prideful? Absolutely. So I would probably lean into that. That's good. I love it. It reminded me of a line from an old movie. It's really stupid. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's hilarious. Uh, it was Ryan, one of Ryan Reynolds' early movies, Van Wilder, National Lampoon's Van Wilder. And in the very first of that movie, uh, this line comes out and he says, don't take life too seriously. You'll never make it out alive. Mm. And that's what you uh, you inspired me to that line to come back to my head. Uh, but that's great. That's great advice to give yourself. Uh, I mean, it truly is. Life is, you know, talking about the pursuit of purpose. That pursuit is going to be a roller coaster mm-hmm. for anyone. I don't know anybody that's ever just taken it straight to the top or started at the top. It's a climb. Um, and, you know, don't try to get it all at once. Give yourself grace whenever you don't. Absolutely. Perform up to your expectations. You know, just because... You know, your boat starts taking on a little bit of on a little bit of water. Don't jump out of the boat. Bail the water out, mm. lug the hole, and keep on trucking forward. There's a lesson in the leak. Yeah. There's Absolutely. a lesson in the leak. So what I tell people that they, they'll ask me, why did you name it Pursuit of Purpose? What's so big about the pur- the purpose? You know, whatever. So I'll ask them a question. Which one do you think is more more valuable, the purpose or the pursuit? In my opinion, the pursuit Mm. outweighs the value of the purpose, Mm. because when you attain the purpose, then it's your job to find another pursuit. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. So I like that. I do, too. Enjoy the journey. Yeah. Enjoy the journey. Yeah. No, that's perfect. Thank you. Thank you. Great responses today. And thank you for for being our guest, man. Absolutely. I've known you guys for years and uh, whenever, you know. Robert asked me to come on. I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Um, and so y'all are doing a great thing here. I think any endeavor to help people find more positivity and encouragement in their life is, is a good thing. So keep up the good work. Thank you so much. Sure will. Thank you. Likewise. Well, Malachi, thank you so, so much for coming on with us today. I hope our audience is inspired by your journey. Thank you for sharing it with us. Uh, I hope your family will listen to this. Uh, I hope you'll go back and listen to it. I think you'll enjoy it. And uh, I want to thank everyone for for joining us again on this episode. And again, we've got Uh, Chuck and... Malachi. Malachi Dawes with the Dawes Law Firm, and and I'm Robbie. And thank you for allowing us to become a part of the pursuit of your purpose. Y'all have a great day.